Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. We're doing another live stream, and we got Patrick on board here. How you doing, Mr. Patrick? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. You're stressing me out. I'm going to go crazy one of these days. Patrick just wings his way. He goes to In-N-Out Burger five minutes before we were going to do the show, and then he wings back in, and he's still got like the wrapper hanging from his shoe, you know? This is he not wings true. In. I had a power bar. I was here 15 minutes early. You got some coffee, and I had really... I had to shave. That did take longer than I thought, though. <laughs> it's the pressure of being on YouTube. But I'm glad we, we see that we have a few folks here in the YouTube chat already saying hello. And uh, just a reminder to anyone listens on the audio feed, Friday afternoons we record these. Come by and check it out. It's a good time. Yeah. So we record them Fridays, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And, uh, you know, follow the Twitter and we'll, we'll tweet about it, too. But this is Patrick and I just getting together and talking about a few things. So we got to do a little follow-up, Patrick. So I've been harassing Patrick every now and again. When I see an article about the, the M1 stuff, I send it to him and I say, mildly swappy. But has everything still been going good with your M1? Everything's no going great. The only application I've had any issue with has been Outlook. But I don't think that has anything to do with the M1 Mac. I think it's just the fact that I do like to use Outlook as my email client and I think the whole thing might be written in Electron at this point and I I would highly doubt that any of that is to do with the M1 Mac but yeah I mean I'm swapping all day long it's great Outlook is written in Electron come on I think it's it's been moving over I feel like it's in Electron they're moving all their stuff over to web components I need to check on that but I'm pretty sure at least on the Mac they've been moving it out of native code I know they're trying to get everything on one code base I feel like it's Electron at this point that's pretty interesting but all in all in all your M1 is still good. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting and hopeful for, you know, whatever the the 14 inch M1X or whatever they're going to call it. You know anything yeah, about that? Knows? You've been following I, the I mean, rumors? I have no inside knowledge on this. They don't fill me in. But yeah, I know as soon as I buy another one, then they'll release the next one. So, but yeah, I mean, I have a computer that cost me a little over a thousand dollars with that on, you know, add on RAM and, and whatnot that at least single thread can probably stand up to your big Mac Pro, your big beefy Mac Pro. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Whatever. But it, it, seriously, though, everything, <laughs> everything's been working out good though like you've yeah, been, you've been using computer. it for actual work stuff and it's this, it's been this is my one and only computer i'm developing all day on it i am writing php i i've not been elevated so far that i no longer code anymore yeah i'm running xdebug and docker containers it has no fan i know i've talked about this i it has no fan so i have not heard a noise out of my computer in months now it's lovely how do you know it's still on though if you don't hear anything <laughs> it is very mildly warm to the touch so only the littlest bit um, you'll feel a little bit of warmth but it, even then, like it's not like I used to have the 2009, the 2012 models where maybe it was the 2012 or 2015. It would get so hot. I don't know if you've had one of these MacBook Pros at one point, but it would get oh, yeah. hot enough that it was uncomfortable to touch the keyboard and forget about your lap. Like we're getting into TMI zone again. But I remember my mother-in-law, my now mother-in-law, way back when she first met me, she would see me sitting with the laptop on my lap all the time. And she bought me like a cushion because she was like, you know, we, we can't have that much heat near a, a person's private area. Let's just leave it there. She's not 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 an unwise decision but you could have saved a lot of money on your vasectomy oh, if, stop it all right all right now if you just fully just kept using the, the kept that. using the just keep using the really hot laptop my daughter is now a subscriber to dev mode i don't know why she subscribes to my podcast to my wife's podcast we cannot be your wife has a podcast things. her company does yeah but and oh. she's head of communications so how old is your daughter that's subscribing on youtube she's seven and a half i don't know what okay she all right so this is a this is a parenting problem problem, Patrick. <laughs> I think it's a parenting Seven-year-old win, uh, if it weren't a... for your, your tangents. 
a seven-year-old shouldn't be on YouTube. What are you talking about? She's she not on YouTube, YouTube, but no, she has the Apple Podcasts app. She listens to oh. Dev Mode, the Genuity Science Podcast, and Wow in the World. Wow. Well, she's a very advanced child. Patrick's daughter, whose name we won't mention on the air because yeah. privacy reasons, but Patrick's daughter, if you're listening to this, stop. Yeah, don't Google <laughs> these phrases that Andrew mutters. <laughs> Just stop listening right now, okay? I think that that would be the best thing. So we haven't published it yet, but the next podcast that's coming out, which is going to be the previous podcast, so it's going to be really confusing for anyone hearing this, is where we talked a bunch about doing product and what it was like to build and do product. And I was wondering if you had any follow-up thoughts on that or just kind of... No, I've been busy with a number of different endeavors over the last couple of weeks that I I can't get into all of it, some confidentiality, but no, I have not made any headway. As I said, you know, let's talk about it and keep me honest all this. I have not done anything in terms of the world of products and product development, nothing to report there. How about you? I can tell you've been busy because I'm getting fewer and fewer, you know, I I don't get any of these these goofy texts from you. And I know, I know you're locked down and busy whenever that happens. That's true. You can't talk about it. You've been doing everything super highly confidential. You got nothing you can talk about not really we um i mean we are we are kicking off a big a nux rebuild of an existing site i don't know if i've talked about that before we, we launched a big nux site gosh a month and a half ago and now we're taking an existing site and it's gonna be very interesting because it's, it's a craft commerce site we're now building nuxt onto it but we're going to keep the commerce back end as is for the order flokes we're not there to go fully headless uh, ordering yet there's a tight timeline because they have a, a tv spot coming up in april well commerce doesn't even support mutations yet via graphql does it or does it no, I, I would be using, or Arthur and myself would be using just the the, the normal endpoints, not mutations over GraphQL. We would mm. be hitting the craft app just through the normal, you know, action APIs and controllers. Mm. Yeah, well, no, that that would be gross. So one of the things that I've been doing, and I don't know, you may not even know about this. This may be like my part of my secret life that you don't know about. <laughs> we all knew there was a secret life. We just haven't been clued in on exactly what it is. Well, well, this isn't very exciting. But one of the things, so a while ago, a buddy of mine did a friend for his friend, who's a photographer, and he built a website for him. And okay. He needed a little help with a couple of minor things. So I went in there and I, I helped him out just doing a, a couple of small things on the project. So I had the copy of the repo locally and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the guy, whatever, he, he's a photographer. He's busy doing whatever he's doing. He didn't end up paying for his VPS. So at some point, his DigitalOcean VPS just got deleted. Like it just got terminated and deleted. So I, I have no idea how this yeah, all he, happened. Yeah. But wouldn't they give you, they should give you like a lot of notice when that happens, right? I've got to think. I've definitely seen a couple clients over time and specifically with DigitalOcean have billing problems where it's an expired card or or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he, I think, ignored a bunch of emails for that to happen. And you wouldn't know anything about ignoring emails. But yeah, my guess is that there were a bunch of emails. He was like, oh, I'm sure that's fine. I I don't know what a VPS is, but I'm sure that's fine. And next thing you know, so site's gone. Is there a, a database dump or is it just blown away? So that's the thing. My buddy who built the site, his name is Matt, and we had him on the podcast here and he talked about how he was giving up his design stuff that he was doing at ThinkMill and was becoming a long haul trucker in Australia, right? Okay. So he's, you know, a couple of years out of the loop or maybe just a year out of the loop from that too. So he was looking at trying to get this thing set back up for him and he's like, hey, can you help me out? I'm like, sure. Do you have the images anywhere? And he's like, well, here's the, the Bitbucket repo where everything is. I'm like, okay but where are the images yeah yeah you didn't use s3 on that one it was just all local basic yeah yep all just local stuff and (laughs) 
Then I said, okay, well, we'll also need a database. Do you have the database anywhere? <laughs> What's a database? <laughs> so I have my old Mac Pro, where I have some older projects that are on there. And I managed to, I just connected to it. And I found that the project was there. And so I just scarfed everything out of that. But then I was just like, you know what? If I'm going to be the one who's going to be working on this thing, which like, I'm not going to do a ton of work, right? But if I'm going to be the one to get it up and running, I want to modernize it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing is I've actually been doing a live stream where where I'm live streaming me converting this project over. So I dockerized it. Mm-hmm. I, I added the base twig templating setup that I use in my config. And I just added Webpack to the build system where it's actually building all of the JavaScript. And this was like, this was done a number of years ago. And so it just had like a script tag, you know, for the script. And there, there was no build system. There's no nothing no, anywhere. No, it was, yeah. And some of the stuff that's being used too is like Slick, you know, which is like an old common yeah, JS yeah. carousel. And also slick light box, yep. you know, and I actually had some massive struggles with getting that working in the modern Webpack build flow. I can't and imagine. a couple of yeah, them, yeah. a couple of the problems were self-inflicted. But here's what I think you might find funny is I was going through the project and I, I found this stuff like craft env this and dot envy that. And I'm like, oh, that was something I did a couple of years ago that I think that was actually a bad idea. So I <laughs> tore all that stuff out. <laughs> But it was just funny kind of like going back little time capsule and looking at the stuff that was in there. But the the biggest problem that I had in getting this up and running was trying to figure out how I could get these old masonry and slick Mm -hmm. and slick lightbox thing working in a Webpack config. And so I did this all live on stream yesterday or the day before, and there was no... Like I got the masonry working, but I couldn't get the slick stuff working. And I ended up having to stop the stream because I had to do some other stuff. And then I went back to look at it the next day and I'm like, oh my God. So there, there were a number of just silly things that I did. The first of which was that I left all of the script tags in the twig code, right? So it was okay. both loading it via Webpack and it was loading it because I was wondering like, why is there a discrepancy between what I'm seeing in, in various places when I was trying to debug it? So, okay, no big deal, fix that. And then I found out I actually was importing slick. That was what I put in the package.json. That is not the slick carousel slider thing. Like oh. if you import the, the NPM package slick, it is not. Just some other is, random package that happened to grab that name. It, it's like a template parser or something or other, you know? So. <laughs> That'll do it. Wait, all right. So hold on, hold on. Because yeah, you've gone yeah. into over-engineer. I'm going to build, you know, the, the greatest photographer's website that's ever existed. Is this guy's website down the whole time? Or have you gotten oh, yeah. to get it? <laughs> So oh wait, no! <laughs> no, so it's been down. As far as I know, it's been down for months. Is his know? name Nick. Oh, all right. So you know, it's website crashes in the woods, and does anyone does it actually make a sound? I mean, what it basically boils down to is my buddy did this for free for his friend, and I did it for for free for my friend, and then he's asking me, you know, can I help you get this up and running? And I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. I'm extracting my price, and my price is that I'm doing it the way I want to do it, which is modernizing it, and you know, that's that. That's okay. just the way it is. Yeah, I know. I'm like, you know, my reflex when a site is down is, oh my gosh, we need to get this up. You know, the the people, they need this content and we're just throwing server not found or whatever it's giving you. And you're just, you know, taking your time and your artisanal webpack config to try to get it, get him a 98 Google page speed, lighthouse score, whatever. I I just feel like, and I'm thinking back, I remember that Jeff Atwood, who was one of the two guys that did Stack Exchange, he has a blog called Coding Horror that it may still be up. I remember though, it was like a big deal when his blog went down and he had a similar thing where whatever, you know, like a co-location or something, and he just had a complete and massive 
failure and decided, oh, let me test my backups after it goes down. And there were no backups. I'm just remembering there were people who were literally going through archive, uh, like the Google cache and all that, trying to get the old images and bring those back from the dead. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of the, I mean, he, his is a much larger profile blog and he went on to be one of the two guys that did Stack Exchange. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like trying to find find all those old images and bring those back and get the site on as soon as possible. But you're, you're taking a slower approach to, to bring it back in an artisanal, an artisanal manner. Well, okay. So two things, right? So one, this is pro bono for pro bono. You know what sure. I'm saying? Like it's yeah. not even me doing it as a favor for a friend of mine. It's me doing it as a favor to a favor of a friend of a friend. Yeah. I mean? See, um, now you need me to do you a favor and I do this for you. I mean, just yeah. get a favor circle going. Yeah. Right. So well, we used to call it something else, but <laughs> anyway, so the other thing is if he was paying so little attention to it that it just went down, yeah, you know what I mean? I don't know. How much should I really be too worried about it? Um, no, I gotcha. So the, the confluence of those two things where like, I'm just doing it for free. So if you want my help for free, you're going to have to deal with the way I feel like doing it for this thing. And then the other part is, again, if he just let everything lapse and didn't even notice that it was down for a little while. Sure. What's another week or two going to matter? Now, obviously, uh, if this were a client site, I would not be doing it like this, right? Obviously, if it were a client site, it would be urgent, immediately get it back up. Also, if it were a client site, I would have a good backup plan in place and it would be yes, super you- easy to get this back up and running. You know? What do your backup plans look like? I, I've had plenty of clients where I'm a little bit afraid that it, if push came to shove and we had a real, oh my gosh, I don't know how someone did it, but someone just blew away that AWS EC2 box. I don't know how well the, you know, we, we'd be very scattershot trying to find, okay, find the assets again, get the database. What if someone also blew it? Like, what if you had, you know, someone just knocked out the Amazon account? So the RDS is gone and now you're you know, hoping that some engineer at, at AWS support can just bring back what was blown away. What do you do for disaster recovery and backup? So what I do for backups is locally, I do backups, right? So I've got my backup scripts that run and they'll do a database dump every day. And they will also do local backups of the assets as well. And I just do rsync with that, but I do an rsync where it doesn't delete stuff that was deleted. You know what I mean? Okay. Yep. So in other words, it's always additive so that if the, so the reason I do the backups locally on the VPS that way is 99 times out of a hundred, it's not a meteor hit the data center or as is with the case in France recently, I don't know if you saw it, the huge, there's a data center, I think it's like VHC or VC or something like that. And their whole data center, like literally went up in flames and they tweeted something (laughs) out like everyone who time to invoke your disaster recovery plans. I'm like, <laughs> wow, like, yep. you're not even kidding. But no, I do those locally because most of the time the issues are small client issues. Like someone went in and they accidentally deleted all this stuff. Well, okay, we got a, da- a dump from yesterday. I can just quickly restore that. No big deal. Yep. They deleted this asset. Can we find it? Yeah, yeah, we got that. No problem. Then the other thing that I do is I do backups of the backups into an S3 bucket that is mm-hmm. dedicated just for the, the backups. So if the instance does get completely toasted. The code is in GitHub or Bitbucket or wherever it is, so we can replicate that. The database backups are sitting in an S3 bucket, and also the assets, if they're not already in S3, there'll be backups of those in the S3 bucket too. 
So you, know? you have local ones in NY Studio headquarters and uh, a mirror of them in an well, S3 lo- bucket. Local to the VPS, so not local to got it, got it, NY got Studio. It, for it. a while, I, I mean, I do have a VPS sitting on my network here. And for a while, I was doing the backups here. Mm. But I would much rather just do those to an S3 bucket. And I still do the backups here for some of my stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also am moving those just to S3 buckets, too. And Yeah, I mean, you know, if the worst happens and somehow you delete everything, I guess you're just kind of screwed. But. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, even in that, I'm like, well, if someone knocked out the entire AWS account, your your backups are in a, an S3 bucket, but they're with kind of alongside. I almost feel like you want to also mirror them out to some other, maybe Azure or something else, just to have them in more than one spot. Yeah, it's one of those like as I've told clients, they're like, well, what if something? I'm like, if AWS goes down, like the internet is going to go down with it. Like you won't be that big a deal anymore. Yeah, I, I do worry a little bit about at times need to spend some more time on disaster recovery planning and, and testing. Yeah. I mean, so far the local backups and then backups offsite of those backups plan has worked out really well. Yeah. And, you know, back in the stone age when we used to do this, like we actually used to do the same protocol, mm-hmm. but we actually had like a physical drive that we yeah. would back up locally and take off. And Nevin and uh, Johannes are both saying that it was OVH okay. is the plan. So if you if you like Google OVH data center or whatever, you'll see this thing is like, I mean, literally it's up in flames. Jeez. It's literally up and it's, it's funny to see that with the, <laughs> Johannes is saying, the video counseling platform of one of our clients just disappeared appeared because the data center literally just went up in smoke. But anyway, so getting back to what we're talking about, the so I, I did, did those two just dumb mistakes in terms of Twig was including the script and I was also loading it via Webpack. And then I was also just using the wrong package. I was using, right. you know, so obviously that's not going to work. But then the final thing that was driving me crazy was I couldn't get the jQuery plugins to attach themselves to the, you know, the dollar sign FN, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I ended up figuring out that the issue was what I needed to do because they're old common JS modules. I needed to do a require as opposed to an import on them. And Part of this is just, I didn't, I probably should spend a little more time examining this site before I just dove in and started working on it. <laughs> but part of it is also just like it was somebody else's old stuff. So I didn't even really know what was being used or where. So by doing the regular imports, it was wrapping it in an ESM module and they're mm-hmm. like, and it's giving it back to you. And that is really unhelpful when it's an old common JS module and it has code in it that needs to execute and does all those kind of funky old weird global stuff that uh, used to do but i got both of those in there nice both of those working so we're, we're doing really good so that's something that i've been streaming from my nys account on youtube i have not been advertising it because i i knew i kind of went into this just kind of not really planned so i thought it might be kind of boring for yeah. people to watch you know what i mean but if you want to see me <laughs> have no idea why the javascript stuff isn't working those are all up there <laughs> now do you get help from the audience during these live streams do people you know, try to help you along when you're stuck and say, wait a sec, slick, that's not slick. That's some other NPM well, package or. Okay. So first of all, audience, I'm not exactly at well. influencer <laughs> level there, Patrick. But the, the other thing is, again, I didn't advertise either one of these sure. streams. Yeah, I, so, I didn't even know it happened. Yeah. So someone would have to see it accidentally. So there were only a couple of people watching when I was streaming it anyway, but no, no one said anything. So okay, whatever. But that's something that I've been working on. And it, man, it is, it's interesting because you, you are in a modern JS ecosystem thing where you're 
you're using this framework or you're even using a meta framework that's built on top of a framework and all this kind of stuff. And then you go back to, you try to go back, you know, it's not even that long, maybe like five years ago yeah. where you've got something that's using jQuery and it's using jQuery plugins and all this stuff. And I'm just looking at it like, I barely remember how all this stuff works, you know? <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah, I've got to think. Yeah, I mean, you. anytime you need a self-esteem boost, look at code you wrote two years ago, or five years ago or more. Yeah. And hopefully you're looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used to do that. Or, oh, wasn't it quaint the way we did this? And if you're not, then maybe just try to, you're, you may be falling behind. So we've talked about this on the show plenty of times. But yeah, it, it's fun. Yeah, I'm sure I'm thinking of, you used to have like your .env.php and all these yeah. other little uh, things that you had. And yeah, it, it, we're in a really good place right now, I feel, with the, some of the things you brought to the community around the Docker setups and your webpack configs there's just a lot of good stuff there and if anyone's listening and haven't dug into them you know take a look at at the dev mode repo it's out there on mystudio 107 slash dev mode out on github because it gives you a really nice model to work from if you want to see what andrew's prototype looks like yeah regarding the env.php stuff i actually still wish that they miss it don't you no (laughs) I, i don't miss that because i ended up giving up on that and saying okay it's fine just use that env like i i concede i yield you mm-hmm. guys are right it's easier however i do wish that they had something like laravel has which is they have like a, a way that it will pre-bundle all of this stuff so when you ship to production instead of it using the env stuff mm-hmm. you can actually tell it to optimize this and it, then it bundles everything up so it's not reading this every, in every time and it, like that honestly like that's the right way to do what i was trying to do yeah and i was still i, I opened a github issue for that for craft a long time ago and it's still there somewhere it'll it'll be done right after matrix and matrix (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) the peasants will rejoice someday when that comes down (laughs) so the other interesting thing that's been going on with me so first of all i'm going for a covid test tomorrow i'm gonna get covid testing yeah why is that everything um, okay Everything's Any okay. R- I've got a, risky encounters. Yeah. No risky encounters. <laughs> I lead a very boring life, Patrick. <laughs> as, I. Um, as I think a lot of people, I yeah. mean, their lives are a lot more boring now than they used to be. No, I, I'm having a, a small medical thing done and they need yeah. they need the COVID test done before that. So I'm gonna go in for the COVID test. And the other th- and actually I'm gonna do that today. I need to do that today. So sometime after the show. I thought I was gonna do it before the show. And I was mm-hmm. gonna be able to talk about how fun it was to have stuff. Yeah, I had to have one maybe a month ago for a, I had a very minor surgery, just a hand thing. And it wasn't great, but I, I, people had made it out to be the worst thing in the world. Oh, my gosh, they're going to, you know, hit your brain right. with this Q-tip. And it really wasn't bad. Just close your eyes and you'll be good. <laughs> that sounds like a Stop it. really, really bad date. Stop. <laughs> I love the Oh, I love the glare we're getting. It's awesome. But so the other thing is the other good news is that I am going in for my COVID shot. Yes, the craft I got it community is, is thrilled that the uh, that NY Studio is getting vaccinated. <laughs> I don't want to be a super spreader. It's very you know? important. Yeah. No, it, it, no, that's good news. It's good that they've finally gotten to the 60 and up uh, age range over there in New York. No, it is not 60 and up. How dare you? <laughs> it is not my age at all. You're not even close. Yeah. How yeah. dare you? No, it's it's the comorbidity stuff, right? So it's a yeah, BMI. Yeah. Like I've got a BMI of over... 30 or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, as do I. Yeah. It, and in New York, so I'm in Massachusetts, in New York, right now you only need one medical condition or comorbidity and they're allowing you to register. Yeah. That's so great. So 
I'm going to go in and do it. Two or or a couple other things. You know, there are, I think, teachers are now on the list and a few others. And then they're moving into professions. And then I think it's one plus medical condition here in Massachusetts. Yeah. And and I was actually contemplating potentially driving two and a half hours or two hours or something to Utica to get it. Because yeah. they had openings there. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm not really going anywhere doing anything. Like, I'll just wait. Yep. It's not going to be the end of the world. I'll just wait. It's not a big deal. Even if I got the shots, like, it's literally going to change nothing sure. in terms of how I do. Because even if you are, you can still carry it, you know, even if you have it. So until my whole family has it, yep. or, realistically, not much is going to change. So I waited. And then my brother-in-law texted me. And he's like, hey, they're starting. They just opened up some more shots locally. So I'm like, cool. nice. Just signed up. And yeah, end of April, I'm going to head down and do it. Very cool. Yeah, no, I heard the the news out of the cdc as, as everyone has that yeah if people are, are vaccinated they can get together without even with non-vaccinated people you know not have to wear masks it, you know if it's like two families meeting together and one group is fully vaccinated which makes sense you know it's if one has their shields fully up then you can we can all let our shields down a little bit when it comes to masking and all that now i'm really helpful about what the future holds i'm if they I would go in the middle of the night if I could right now to get one. Just the numbers are so good in terms of what we're seeing with efficacy and, you know, essentially 0% people going into the hospital and severe cases being really low. So how far would you drive? I I mean, that, well, that's a good question. It becomes options. Is it like, oh, I can drive two hours to get it now or I can wait a week and a half, two weeks and get it, you know, five minutes away. One of the big mass vaccination centers near us is like a 30 minute drive. And so that's almost probably where I'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I may also go to my local CVS. So an hour. Would you drive an hour? If you yeah. could get it done today, would you drive an hour? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Two if hours? I was like, oh, you can get it done today. And if not, you're going to be waiting until maybe May. Oh, I would drive an hour and a heartbeat. I'd drive two hours and a heartbeat if I could. Really? Now, what if, if it, it was, was like only... months, if it was a month, like plus difference of waiting? Yeah. yeah, I'd rather feel better about seeing parents, seeing grandparents and all that. And to me, a couple hour drive to have a couple months of, you know, my grandmother's not in great health. So I don't know, you know, I'd much rather get that and, and have more time to see family soon. But what if it was only you that was getting it? Would it still have that benefit? Because then the rest of your family doesn't really make a difference, right? Well, I mean, children, who knows? It's going to be probably late summer by the time kids can get vaccinated. I probably just to, I mean, we're talking hypotheticals at this point, but, and I, I don't, I live near civilization. Unlike you, we have many things. <laughs> we have automobiles and we have electricity. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's so dense. It is a difference where I am than you are. If I look at the number of testing sites within an hour drive, there's a zillion. Not to say you don't have plenty between pharmacies and all that, but it's just a hypothetical that doesn't make sense for where I live. Well, what I mean is, so, and this is the other thing I was thinking about. So I want to get vaccinated for myself, right? So I just mm-hmm. want to do it. But what is the realistic benefit? So if my entire family is not vaccinated, the way that we behave is not going to be substantially different. Yeah. So is there really a huge benefit? I mean, so in other words, obviously I want to do it and I want to get it, but how far would I drive? Yeah, see, I like I driving. I enjoy driving, just getting I mean, you have the Tesla. You can get in there. Just Tesla will do the work for you and put on a, a back episode of dev mode. Why wouldn't you go for a two hour drive? I love it. So Caroline has given you a nickname. So your nickname is now Patrick Honeydew Harrington. That's beautiful. I don't know how to respond to that, Caroline. <laughs> you Thank are you. Hun- you are my little honeydew melon. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do this show? <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, all I'm saying is I would rather the entire family get vaccinated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then maybe we could be more liberal about going and doing stuff. But the thing is, even then, 
you could still potentially transmit it or carry it to other people. So how much is your behavior really going to change? And I just don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I, the word there is potentially. And it becomes just the more that everyone's vaccinated, the, the more quickly we'll get to the point where yeah. even if someone does have and if they are able to transmit, it's just going to find less and less targets to actually bounce off of or it is going to bounce off rather than grab hold onto someone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the more we all do it and get ahead of it, the better. Because, yeah, it's, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. Uh, we were actually, my daughter's school was one of the first in the country to shut down just because we had an outbreak. We have a lot of people that were at the Biogen conference, which was a big super spreader kind of late February last year. Yeah, so um, our year anniversary was actually last week rather than this week for a lot so of people. So have your kids been going to school at all? So my daughter has had hybrid since you know, the middle of September. She has two days in school, a day where they are on Zoom all day with the, all day, like till 1140 with the teacher. And then two days where it's more synchronous, they're kind of in and out of Zoom classes. But here in Massachusetts, they, April 5th, I believe they are going back five days a week because the teachers are getting vaccinated pretty well. We've had, they've been doing mass testing of the kids where they're doing kind of the name for it. They almost like test a hundred different samples at a time because if all 100 come back as negative, then they know, okay, there's a hundred kids or maybe it's 10 kids. So they've been doing uh, pool testing here in our school system. Um, so yeah, she'll be back in school on April 5th and she's so excited for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Just put all the samples together in one big cocktail and test them all once. Exactly. Yeah. If you're getting, yeah. you know, one or two positives across the entire school system, it doesn't make sense to do a individual test for everyone. You can pull them together and say, okay, this group of 50 kids or hundred kids is negative. Oh, there's a someone's positive or at least one kid is positive in this group. And then you can get granular with a retest. So it's a pretty smart way for them and pretty effective way for them to do it. Yeah. Well, anyway, enough about the, the COVID stuff. So, I mean, yeah. one of the other things that I've been doing is I've been bringing the build system that I have to my plugins. So I think I mentioned it briefly, but basically the, the Webpack 5 build system that I have, I backported it to my plugins. And then the other thing I did is I made a little package, you know, a composer package called, I think it's called Craft Plugin Manifest or something like that. And that contains, it's kind of like TwigPack Lite. So TwigPack is like a little plugin that I wrote that will translate between what's coming from a manifest file. And then it will also take care of the hot module reloading and it'll do all that kind of fun stuff for you. And it, it works really nicely. This is sort of like that, but for plugins. And the reason I made it a separate package is so that it is isolated enough that I can easily just update that one thing and it does this specific functionality. You know, I'm not, like, I'm not a huge fan of breaking plugins down into sub packages because you can run into dependency hell there really yeah. easily. Yeah. But this, I think, is low enough level that it'll be fine. So all my plugins just then require it. And I'm using dependency injection containers to then inject into that service whatever is the specific details for the plugin, you know, in terms of what's going on. And so the reason I got all that working is now I've got a, a dockerized testbed set up for my plugins. So I previously had been using Homestead for all my plugin development just because it was there. Yep. So I have like a, a junk site where everything's just installed and I can just do all the plugin dev there. Mm -hmm. And I made a Dockerize setup that I actually published on GitHub. So anyone can use it if they want to. The really nice thing about that setup is it gives you all the fun stuff that was in the Docker config that we talked about, like the dual containers, the PHP, uh, Xdebug containers, like all that stuff is in there. So you get really quick speeds when you're not debugging stuff. And when you need Xdebug, it's there. The other thing is I made it really easy to switch between Postgres and MySQL. And this is for plugin testing, right? 
right? So I have plugins that will use the database. And in theory, Yi has this compatibility layer for the database stuff that you don't ever need, but you do, you do. Right. Like the last 10% won't work. So you have to special case for Postgres or MySQL. And it makes it super easy to switch back before because both containers are running and you just change one little thing in the db.php and it will connect to the other container. It makes nice. it super, super nice for doing that development. And then that with the addition of that plugin manifest thing I was mentioning. So I get the HMR in the CP when I'm working on the plugins, which is just really the, the experience is really nice. Yeah. So that, that's that's really, those are the two big things that I've been working on. Now that the setup is done for all the plugins, mm-hmm. I've been actually working on features for them. So. I was going to say, you, you've filled me in. I don't think they're ready to tell the public about, but some pretty cool features coming to SEOmatic in the roadmap. Yeah. yeah. And some of those work already, but we don't want to talk about them yet. No, but yeah. for anyone who's an SEOmatic user, which I'm sure is probably the majority of our listeners, yeah, there's some cool stuff coming. I, I saw something on a site and I was like, oh, I wish it SEOmatic did that. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've already built that. It's just not ready to ship yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's coming. Yeah, there's yeah. some cool stuff coming down the line. Yeah, but no no announcements. Nobody nobody bothered me about it. And actually, <laughs> if, if anyone has any further questions about this, Patrick. Yes, you refer them be, right to me. Yes, I, they, will, yeah. they will go right to you, Patrick. Yeah. Right to you. I can be bought. So here's the other question I had for you. We've been talking about the Apple car stuff before. Yep. Did you hear that Tesla has been talking about coming out with a minivan? Really? Really? Uh, is it going to look like the Cybertruck? I don't, I have no idea. It's As just someone who drives a minivan, this is very relevant to my interests. I know. Did you know that I drive a minivan? Yeah, I, I remember you week one when I had- You have driven in your minivan. Oh yeah, you've been in the minivan. I remember week one when I had the minivan and I did, I, I remember where I was driving at the, mar- and I had a moment where I just like lost my breath and I, I was like, oh my gosh, I drive a mini ma- minivan now. Like this is where I've gotten in life. I've become more okay with it over time. I love my minivan. Yeah, you drove me around in Montreal in the minivan, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we tried to find parking in, in vain near uh near the near the spot. Well, would you be tempted by a, a Tesla minivan? Yeah. I mean, I really want, so I have a Chrysler Pacifica and I really wanted the hybrid one, although they had some issues with like the first model year of it. And I think this would have been the second. I was like, I don't know. There were a whole bunch of recalls. And I was like, I'm not going to try to figure that out. And it was a plug-in hybrid. So it was the type where, yeah, you could possibly run on electric for a percentage, especially, you know, city driving, but it, it seemed like it wasn't enough for me to look at. But no, if there's a Tesla minivan, I would absolutely be looking for it. Now, I'm wondering how big it's going to be. Is this an, a minivan in the way that the Model Y or whatever it is, is a is an SUV, which is still more, I'd say, a European-sized SUV than an American one? Or is it going to be a big, hulking minivan? I don't know. I just Where is know this that information it's... coming from? I, I haven't heard this. <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh what's her name there's some some girl that has a channel she's like something java or something i, I, I don't know but All but right, apparently so. no no apparently it's e- even in the roadmap uh, elon musk's roadmap for the company they even said they talk about how important uh, minivan is although they've been declining it only because i spent a while looking at minivans two years ago i guess at this point they've been declining in terms of the number of people actually buying them and i, I feel like people just don't know the, the wonder that is having a minivan and you press a button and you get the doors that come out and no, they're great. Like, I love my minivan. All right. I found um, it. So yeah. if you go to YouTube yeah. and you, so you search for, go ahead, open up YouTube and search for Kim Java. Kim Java? 
Yeah. Kim Java. Now, obviously, don't watch it now, okay? Because we're, we're broadcasting Kim live. Kim Tes- Java. Tesla van is coming. Is this a, a minivan or is it like a work? This looks I like think, a work I'm van. I'm pretty sure it's a minivan. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's for families. I know the image doesn't look like it, but I think yeah, that's just, I, that's like an A-team looking van kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. This looks like a work. So Carolyn has a question. So I figure we might as well try to address it real quick while you're looking over the, the van. Yeah. So I'm going to watch says YouTube that, for a while now. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. You just yeah, now you go ahead. Take put everything on mute and start eating your In-N-Out burger and and watch YouTube. That's fine. I understand. Yeah. So she's asking that uh, how easy it is to convert over to SEOmatic. She says she's put years of work into another setup is an an easy move. So it should be actually very easy because what you do is you install SEOmatic and it will then take care of rendering all of the meta information for you. And if you already have fields set up, for instance, like let's say you already have some kind of custom title description whatever fields in your content, you can set the content SEO to just pull from those existing fields. And in fact, that's the the recommended setup is that you want the SEO to be derived from the content rather than having it be its own kind of bespoke thing. So converting over an existing site to using SEOmatic should actually be be quite easy. But if you have any specific questions, I mean, I'd be welcome to, to entertain them. And I'll throw in, I mean, there are other SEO packages out there for craft, and maybe this is where Caroline's coming from. Just as I read it, you know, you live in a pristine world where everything's been done SEOmatic and done the right <laughs> way without the field type. And so if someone's been using Sprout or Dolphin is another uh, big SEO uh, no, Dolphin is a redirect plugin. Uh, that's what it is. Okay. There's, there are a few of the SEO made. There are a few ones out there. Do you have migration pathways from other ones to yours and to put it out there? If someone, let's say, used the SEOmatic field type, and if they wanted to move from SEOmatic to another one for whatever reason, it, are there pathways out of the SEOmatic field type to other SEO tools? So in terms of migrating, it would depend on what plugin it is that she's using and it would depend like it's it's so tough to answer because it depends on sure. how everything was set up. There are a few up. big ones that everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah, Dolphin is not one though. They they have a redirect plugin but they don't yeah, have I made that an up, SEO. Yeah, yeah Ether is um, one. You're talking Ether, about the Ether Ether one. Ether, yeah. SEO made and obviously a Sprout. Yeah. So I I don't have any migration set up for them because most of the time the way that it is done is that your content or is already there. Mm-hmm. So for instance, for an SEO description, you can just tell it to pull from some kind of a description field or a matrix blocks or, or whatever the content is. If you happen to have it as custom fields, you can have it pull from those custom fields. Mm-hmm. If somehow you have it entered into the actual, like a, a field type in like Sprout SEO, then you would have to do an export and a re-import to do it. I know that Croft recently asked me about this and I kind of decided that it wasn't something that I was going to implement for a variety of reasons. The main reason being that in the majority of cases, your SEO is not going to be locked up inside of whatever the whatever the thing is anyway. So just setting it up again is not a big deal to do it. Mm. And the other reason is that it is a really, it would be a really tricky thing to do right. It would take a lot of work to get this to work right and then have it work with a variety of other things. And then just, I think SEOmatic is used widely enough that it probably just doesn't, it's probably realistically an edge case, this scenario. 
you know? No, I've definitely, I had a client that was on Sprout and we were happy with Sprout for a while, but we wanted to move to SEOmatic at one point. And yeah, I remember that it wasn't the easiest process in the world. And, and that's not anything against Ben or, or anything like that. But I, I wonder if you and, and Ben and others should look at when you do have kind of a compound field type, like the SEOmatic field type or a Sprout SEO field type, giving a good way to say, hey, you know, here's a way to get my stuff out of my custom field type and in, you know, map over like a job that will say, if you have the SEOmatic field type, set up the, these target fields and you'd probably need, you know, I say it's easy. On on the basis of entry types, you then have to go and say map from my old school SEOmatic field into a description mm-hmm. field and a robots field and a Twitter yep. image field and all the stuff that gets jammed into that SEOmatic field. the scenario field. that you're describing, Patrick, is exactly why I don't advise that people set things up the way that you're talking about doing it. This right, is, but you know? it but you've you've given people that cookie that you're like you can do it the right way or you can put this one field on your entry type and your clients it, it's i'd be interested to see what well, i guess dev mode i should probably actually log into dev mode someday to see how you handle like the all the things that the seomatic field type does because it lets you get so granular with your generic social media image your twitter one your transform do you actually go and, and almost recreate all of that or are you so more you like- only have to typically okay so just to dial it back and this will help answer caroline's question a little bit so if you're using SEOmatic or you're using some other thing, yes, you could put everything into a field type, right? But then it, everything is kind of locked up in that field type. So I designed SEOmatic so that it, the way, the preferred way to set it up is that you have it pull from your existing content, meaning that if you uninstall SEOmatic, there's no data that is locked up inside of that plugin that you need to worry about then getting out. And that's the situation that, that she's in with whatever plugin she's using. She's got all this data in the field type. If you do it the the, the way that you're talking about, Caroline, or what you would need to do is export from the old field type. SEOmatic does support FeedMe, so you can import stuff back into SEOmatic's field type if you want. But really the best way to do it is to go in and do the content SEO mappings and say, and, and don't have it try to pull from the bespoke field. Like don't don't recreate the bad thing that got you here to begin with. You know what I mean? <laughs> instead of having it, uh, instead of making an SEO settings field and putting all the custom SEO stuff in there, set up the mappings and content SEO to pull from your content. And then you'll be divorcing your SEO stuff from these bespoke things that were set in there. And you'd be surprised. It probably will work. It probably will just work for your site. It really will. I mean, people are just like, well, but I've got all these custom SEO descriptions that are entered and client put all this stuff in there. But realistically, that's actually probably not the best thing for your SEO picture anyway. It's probably better that the SEO is matching what is actually displayed on the page, because that is one of the things that Google looks at, you know, is the SEO information, is it relevant to what's on the page? And if it doesn't think so, it just rewrites it anyway. It'll even rewrite your title. It'll rewrite your description. If it doesn't think it's matching what is really presented, it's just going to rewrite it anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm thinking more of all the options that are packed into They're that all very there. powerful. They're all there. Every single option that's in the field type is yeah, in the content client, SEO. Yeah, there are ones are, oh, you know, this one should have the large card option. This one should use the small card for Twitter. Or, you know, we want to crop this to Instagram exactly right this way. And there, it is very versatile and gives the client a lot of power to have. And there, I mean, there are clients out there who really care about how they're exposing themselves on social media because that it's huge right now. And, and that's yeah. the way the field is intended to, to work is as an yeah. override. So you set right. up everything the way that it should work and you set up the mappings and it even will do per entry type mappings, right? So you can 
get really granular in terms okay. of, and, and then for the 99% case, you have to do absolutely nothing. And then if so there your is- your advice is not to shun the SEOmatic field type, but use that as a build it the right way, yep. feed it a, a featured image with recommended crops for Instagram and whatever, whatever, whatever. Yep. but then if for some reason it's not looking great and use the you know live preview of the different social media targets to see what it looks like, then as your method of last resort, then go to the SEOmatic field type to tweak things. That's right. Got and it. Got it. So, so it's fine to use the field, but use it as an override, right? Mm -hmm. So map everything so it's going to do the right thing in 99% of the cases. And the other reason why that is good is a lot of clients will start out with a desire to do everything bespoke, but then reality kicks in and they're not going to do it on a per entry basis. So the fact that you have the mapping set up ahead of time to something sane and something that is probably as good as they're going to do by hand anyway yeah. is a really good thing. And then use the SEO settings field just as an override if you do need to maybe tweak something or the client really wants this to be changed or really wants that to be changed. Yeah, I'm not saying eschew the field's uh, eschew? Eschew, yeah. Eschew? Eschew. Good blessing. Mm. <laughs> I'm not saying don't use the field entirely. I'm saying use it as an override in the very exceptional cases where this specific thing needs to be different. But no matter what tool you're using, I would highly recommend that you not put that you know, stuff all the way tucked down into a field. And, and the reason I, I set it up this way is it makes it so much easier to make changes. So if you put everything in a field, then it's per field basis. So let's say you, you decide, oh, you know what, really, I want to, we, the client wants to use a large image for this. Well, now you got to go back in and you have to change every single entry to change that setting. Whereas if you did it via content SEO, it's one change, boom, it propagates down. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So it, the, the SEOmatic field type, which I feel like it was supposed to be deprecated at one point. And that's, I think, why I felt like I was doing a bad thing by using the SEOmatic field type that you've bestowed upon us. Part of that is my fault. So one of the things that has been a longstanding to do for me is to make it much more apparent that the field is an override. Mm. So the way that it's going to work is there's it's going to display whatever the default value is. And then you have to click a light switch that says override. That would be nice. Yeah, and then it, right now I think yeah, it, it feels like here's the place to. It, yes, that's what my client trainings look like. I go in there, like they say, "Hey, how do we do with SEO?" And I go, "Click the click this field. You can do anything you want. All right, you're good." And yeah. then you know, I think that's bad UX, and it's something that is been on my list to fix. And now that uh, I've got some of the other meta work out of the way, it is high on my list to get in there and fix it. But yeah, that's that's the way it should be presenting. Okay. Um, Carolina is saying the point is to make it there without a Google transition. Well, I don't think you're going to see any kind of a, a big hit. And in fact, you may even see a boost when converting it over to SEOmatic because you're going to get better JSON-LD and structured data and stuff than was there before. In addition to that, as long as your URL structure isn't changing, I don't think you're going to see any kind of a big immediate change. It's going to take Google a little while to crawl everything. You're going to have plenty of time to ensure the quality of the SEO that it was transitioned to. But I, I have never seen or heard of anyone moving to the plugin and, and having things get worse. I've seen them get a whole lot better, though. Yeah, I mean, it, Carolyn, if I were you, I'd probably grab a, a copy, set up on my local, try installing the plugin, and then whether it's through Google Chrome's Lighthouse audit, you can kind of see, maybe even do a before and after, see what your SEO numbers look like pre-plugin and, and post-plugin to get kind of that kind of score. 
One thing I also like to do is go into the element inspector. If I have like a local site, I'll go into the element inspector and just copy all the HTML and then paste that into Google's rich text or rich snippet tester. Because if you don't want to put it live on a URL yet, but you want to say, hey, what are they going to pick up on? And how well is my JSON-LD going? You can just paste that code right in and it'll do some analysis based off of your local code. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully that's helpful. And yeah, I mean, I do think that some of that is a mea culpa. I, I need to do a better job showing that field as an as what it is, which is an override. And then I think people will take the cue and they'll be like, oh, this is just an override. I really should be setting everything up over there. It does say it in the documentation. It, it talks about how all these things should be set up, but you know. It is what it is. With apologies to Matt Stein, people are not reading the docs. They're, they're usually reading the docs when they do a Google search and it lands them on a docs page. <laughs> but that's about it. Andrew, I like that you have, have someone dancing in the background. Again, this is why people need to come to the YouTube. Uh, other side, not Totoro. Your little guy there. Yep, there he is. Oh, there he is. He's, he's rocking he's, out. Tyler, are you dancing for everybody? Oh, no, no, no meowing. No, 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 no. Oh, you can dance if you want, but that's it. <laughs> All right. That's why people got to come for the YouTube. <laughs> sure. That's what everyone wants to see. They want to see kid dance. Oh, did you notice, by the way? Here, look back there. Did you notice this? Look at this. The colors? Yeah, I, I didn't want to comment. Huh? I, I, huh? I don't know about your dance parties. <laughs> I'm just playing around with So check this out. Look at that. Police are coming. <laughs> yeah, for, for those listening on audio, Andrew's lights are now flashing blue and red in a strobing pattern. I've actually told my kids, like, my dream is to one day have our home automation set so that if the alarm goes off, like, we get red bulbs that all start playing and, you know, put on some clip that says, like, you have chosen destruction or some, like, really intimidating thing that uh, would scare off a robber. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, man, you got anything else? You got anything burning? You just have all this top secret stuff that you can't yeah, tell Yeah, very about. confidential, mildly geeky uh, business. But, yeah, nothing to share too much, except I'm still on Noxt and I'm, and I'm swapping all day long. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. Come join us for the live stream if you want. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Like, subscribe, do all the things. Right, Patrick? Absolutely. All right. Let me see. Thank you, everyone who joined us in the live chat. Welcome to hit me up on Discord or whatever. And we can either chat there or do a video conf or whatever and, uh, you know, just work out whatever concerns that you might potentially have and give you a smooth transition path. Yeah, so you can always, I, I think we end up doing like a SQL query that just didn't update um, based off of the old tables over to the new content tables. And it wasn't too bad once you had uh, something that just kind of ported over all those hand-coded descriptions. That's probably where the most of the friction is right now. And signing off. And broadcast.